April 21st. Throughout this podcast, you will also hear anonymous audio recordings from teachers and students within the AHN community, sharing their reactions to the verdict, reflections on the past year, and hopes for the future. I will also be joined by several of my fellow Acona staff members. Hi, I'm sophomore staff writer Isabel Becker. Hi, I'm sophomore staff writer Raquel Olson. And I'm Editor-in-Chief Adriana James Rodell. So to provide some background, on May 25th of 2020, Chauvin knelt on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes after he and three other officers were called to respond to the scene after a shop assistant believed that Floyd had used a counterfeit $20 bill and called the police. The knee on Floyd's neck caused him to lose oxygen and die face down on the street from asphyxiation. Chauvin was convicted of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. The second-degree murder charge said Chauvin assaulted Floyd with his knee, which unintentionally caused Floyd's death. The third-degree murder charge said Chauvin acted with a, quote, depraved mind, unquote, and that the manslaughter charge said his culpable negligence called or caused Floyd's death. After the verdict was announced, his bail was immediately revoked and he was placed in custody. He could face up to 40 years in prison for second-degree murder, up to 25 years for third-degree murder, and up to 10 years for manslaughter. Minnesota's sentencing guidelines recommend about 12 and a half years in prison for each murder charge and about four years for the manslaughter charge. In this case, the state has asked for a tougher sentence than the recommendations provided. His sentencing is set for eight weeks from now. Floyd's death in May set off mass protests and civil unrest back in 2020, and the fight for racial justice has been on the forefront of the minds of many because of the guilty verdict that Chauvin received. So after the decision came out, a big topic of discussion was justice versus accountability. Um, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, whose office prosecuted case, said that he would, quote, would not call Chauvin's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice, end quote. I feel like that's a really important distinction to make, and I kind of want to hear what you guys think about the difference between justice and accountability in this case. Um, I think that that's like an extremely important distinction to make because I don't, I think we're a long ways away from achieving true justice. Um, I know that I was hearing on the news how there was new uh, video footage, sh- like body cam footage from a police officer showing another killing of an unarmed black man to his family members only. It hasn't been released yet to the public, but it seems as if it happened so much over the last year, two years and even before then. So I think this is like a good step and a first step into achieving justice. That's some, that now they're starting to become accountability for police officers using excessive force, but it's still not true justice. So that's what I think. I don't think that justice happens on like a case-by-case basis. I don't think it's one verdict or even a series of verdict verdicts. I think it's more about addressing like systemic issues like as a whole and like re or like addressing that rather than addressing like individual instances. I agree because if this was like true justice, then like what AJ was saying, this wouldn't be able to like happen after. Because I believe it was like as they were announcing the verdict, the police in Ohio um, shot a 15 and 16 year old girl. Mm -hmm. And if this was like any form of justice, that type of thing wouldn't be allowed to happen. Like that would have, that wouldn't have even been like the slightest of possibility. 
So that's why this is like kind of accountability, especially because just only one person is really receiving repercussions, like at this point. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's definitely like the bare minimum. And I just, when I think about the Chauvin and Floyd case, I, I just hate that it, the only time accountability was delivered was when the case was so stacked against him. Like there was a lot of witnesses, there was a video of the incident and there was national attention on it. Yet a lot of people, I know I was one of them, when I was watching um, the verdict be announced, I had like a feeling of, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like even though he was so clearly guilty in the eyes of the entire world, I felt unsure about what the verdict was gonna be. And I, I don't know what that says about our justice system, but it truly just is the bare minimum of accountability. It's like a justice system definitely protects police officers against receiving accountability for their actions. And I think that's also demonstrated in this case that yes, he had a guilty verdict, but the other officers involved were acquitted. Like they weren't- They're they still waiting trial. Well, they're still, but it's kind of like, I, I don't, I doubt that they would receive the same amount of sentencing that he would get or even a guilty verdict at all. And I think that it's taken this long for us to even get here, this is a lot too. And I think, so um, Isabel, you were talking about earlier how justice is more towards like targeting the systemic issues within an issue. And I think that's been demonstrated recently because the DOJ has been investigating the Minneapolis Police Department's policing practices and now is moving on to Louisville's. And I hope that that brings about good change as well. So. I think like when you talk about justice and accountability, it gets me thinking about what does true restorative justice look like and how long will it be until we get to a place where we all feel collectively that restorative justice has been served. I feel like it starts with restoring relationships between police and the communities that they serve, either through reforms or a total rehaul of our policing systems. I know there's like a lot of back and forth about um, what should be done about the, the police and um, how our policing system should be reformed, but definitely something has to be done to make sure that other police officers, not just Floyd, are held accountable. And I don't know, like I feel like true justice is never, it isn't gonna be achieved until all people of color can like feel like the police is there to protect them, you know? Like that's currently a privilege for certain people and I feel like that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case. And I think you bring up a good point too. I know that I was watching 60 Minutes on Sunday or I mean, last Sunday, and a black mother, she was talking about how she has to have conversations with her children about how, like what to do when confronted with a police officer or if they're stopped by one. And the fact that you even have to have those conversations with your children says a lot about policing practices and the reputation that the police force has accumulated over time. Um, not to say that all police officers are the same, but I think that there is a real systemic issue within this agencies. Um, I think another key part of like the Derek Chauvin case too was the video that we were talking about earlier. And um, I think this brings up the idea of how technology can play a double-edged sword in society. So the video was a really key part of the trial and the guilty verdict. And the video used went viral and it was filmed by a 17-year-old girl named Darnella Frazier. The Minneapolis high school senior documented Floyd's death on her cell phone, and then that video went viral, and then that's how we got to where we are now. But I thought about how that might contribute to the question of um, technology and accountability and justice. Like, if this video didn't exist, would we have known the truth about what happened to George Floyd on that day? I don't think so. I 
think, that, like, and that's a very sad fact, that like there should not need to be like video evidence. You should be able to like, I think like the truth of the matter would have still been there and it still would have been able to be like deduced. Like he did die from like lack of oxygen, but I don't think that the same accountability would be there to the officer who did it because I think it would just, it would just be like one of many, you know? Yeah. I agree. I can't even imagine that he would actually get like arrested, let alone like face a trial, let alone get convicted if there wasn't a video, especially because this video was seen like around the world. I don't, like I didn't think he was going to get convicted like even though like I had seen the video like a million and one times. But I think if there, the video hadn't existed, it definitely wouldn't have I don't think without a video there would have been much public outcry for there to be a guilty verdict. I think that maybe the wording of the whole situation would have been played so it didn't sound as bad as it ended up being. Um, and so I do think that it's really important that there is like body cam footage that is shown to the public. Um, but in addition, like the fact that it even has to come for that to that in order to receive mm -hmm. accountability is actually really awful as well too because you're showing somebody's death on the screen for millions billions of people to watch um and that's i don't know but yeah i think it brings up like a good point about the burden of proof on in these situations um because of qualified immunity which is like a legal principle that grants government officials um immunity from civil suits uh, because of that legal principle, the burden of proof really falls on the victim. And in cases like this where George Floyd is dead, maybe his family wouldn't have um, received as much attention if there wasn't a video, it would have been really difficult for any type of um, accountability to happen. And I feel like this is a really disturbing trend in violent altercations with the police. Usually unless there is a viral video of the incident, there typically is no justice. Um, we were kind of talking about other people and like other videos that have gone viral, but recently the video of Adam Toledo, who was a 13-year-old Latino boy who was shot and killed by a Chicago Police Department officer. That video went viral. Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man who was fatally shot by a police officer during a traffic stop in Brooklyn. That was also a viral video. Makia Bryant, a 16-year-old black girl, um, she was fatally shot by a Columbus police officer and that video went viral as well. Um, why do we only discuss these tragedies if there is a viral video? I think part of it goes back to what AJ said earlier about like, you can spin the narrative any way you want. Like that video makes it so that they, there is like a truth to the situation that we can all see. But like, if that doesn't happen, there is no video. Then we don't know the actual truth of the situation and police officers and those involved can spin it to like, make themselves look like they were in the right and like not make themselves look guilty. I agree. I think it's also because that like once the video is going viral, it's like you can't escape that. Like you can't ignore that. So you have essentially no choice but to talk about it. And I think that's what a really big role in this case because like that video was everywhere. Yeah. So like you could not escape that. There, like, people really have no choice but to talk about it. And so I think that's probably why. Um, which is really sad, but that's kind of just... I think if also there's no, like, visual proof for us to see that, then we often just rely on those in power to tell us, especially, like, law enforcement, to tell us what occurred, because 
up until now you kind of just do trust what they say because that's their profession and they've seen it all but i think that this video footage among others that's being released is just showcasing how like there is policing practices that aren't in line with just an accountability if that makes any sense yeah. um and i think that's just further revealing that and without them i don't think we would have really known about them or become more aware of them I feel like the fact that videos were necessary in all of these cases just sort of highlights this recurring theme among all what all these situations happen is that like people of color are sort of treated as less than and their voices are thought of as less important than those in power so unless there's a video proving otherwise the assumption is always that the police officer or the person in power is right i don't know i feel like that's a, a really dangerous way to go about serving justice, but typically that's how our system is structured now. And that's why Andrew Brown Jr., I remember his name now, um, his, his family is like vouching for that video footage that they were shown of him being fatally shot by police in North Carolina to be released to the public because they also recognize the importance of that visual evidence and like how much, if citizens, they display like if they publicly outcry and like protest against policing practices and things like that how much it can affect and like bring about accountability so that's another example i think when you talk about technology too you also have to acknowledge like well yeah it's a really powerful tool in bringing accountability in these cases it's also really dangerous i know you're talking about um, who was it? Who got in a car crash and then? Uh, George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney like got in a car crash and instead of helping him, people were just like recording him. Yeah, he basically. I'm pretty sure it occurred in Italy, but he had a motorcycle accident really bad. He almost got paralyzed, and he was with his friend, and as his friend was like on his knees, like trying to keep him awake and like tending to see how he was. Of course, he's George Clooney, so he has like a, an audience like around the world and everybody instead of helping him like calling them one we're just taking videos of him on their phones which shows just kind of like that double-edged sort of like okay yes you can show these video footage and like ultimately achieve accountability but it can also be used to like hurt other people and display something that maybe they don't want to be shown to the world i think like the question of an audience is like interesting in this case because um like Raquel said that video is like everywhere. So someone who's close to George Floyd or George Floyd's loved ones are having to like constantly like relive that reality because that video is everywhere. And because it gained such an audience, like they're like the murder of someone who was like very close to them is like becoming more of like a political movement and he's becoming more of a figurehead. And I think it like takes away from the humanity of the situation in some cases. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the side effects of these viral videos is we've been desensitized to these um, violent altercations. It's almost like, oh, another day, another incident of police brutality. And that like really shouldn't be our, our mentality. But like, you're right, those videos, even for me, I've, this has been like true in my case too. I feel like sometimes I'm like, oh, this happens again. Like another one, like, oh, another video. Like I'm not surprised, even though I feel like the reactions there should be different. And the humanity of these people are definitely degraded that i feel like going forward what do you hope to see 
come out of this case and, and do you think that this will be written in our history books? I definitely do think this is going to be written in our history books, at least I hope, because this just was like, I think it's going to be the catalyst for achieving accountability when it comes to like police using excessive force and hopefully with the DOJ investigating the policing practices of those two major police departments where Breonna Taylor, Taylor was murdered and also George Floyd, it'll bring about like huge reform around police. Um, hopefully ending with less use of force and, and and more of that kind of like chasing that we usually see in movies, not right. so much just pulling out a gun and shooting somebody. Um, so I hope, and I hope that over time we'll see hopefully none, no shootings of unarmed black men and women in our future. So. For me, I feel like police officers are rarely convicted, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but um, the verdict in this trial has really been seen as a indication of how the legal system might treat future cases in the future um, of police brutality. So I hope that like this case sets that precedent of like, hey, we should really reconsider how we view incidents of police brutality and maybe ensure that qualified immunity doesn't protect officers who really shouldn't be serving as police officers. And now we will be playing some clips of student and teacher quotes about the topic of our podcast. What were your thoughts immediately after the Derek Chauvin verdict came out as guilty? So my immediate thought was that I was definitely very grateful that at least some justice was served. Um, I'm, I really hope that like the family of George Floyd is like they feel a little bit more at peace with this decision knowing that this verdict has been reached. But at the same time, I am a little bit worried that people will just start to feel comfortable in the sense that like, that's all that needs to be done when Derek Chauvin wasn't even the only person who was complicit in the murder. Um, and I just hope that people realize that even on that day, like police are still killing people, disproportionately black people. And I hope that spirit that was really exuded, especially over the summer of fighting for justice will continue to happen because there's still so much work that needs to be done. To me, this is super important in holding people in positions of power accountable for their actions. Cause a lot of times I feel like the higher ups sort of get away with a lot of things that they shouldn't like that, like a normal person wouldn't get away with. And so to have him be found guilty of all these things is super important moving forward to reduce abuse of power and incidents of violence from higher-ups to the more weak and vulnerable people. I felt relieved when I heard about the guilty verdict of the Chauvin case because it is a small step in holding Derek Chauvin accountable for the death of George Floyd. And this is definitely a step in the right direction as the government and more people begin to realize and recognize that the systemic injustices in the law enforcement system exist and begin fighting against the larger injustices experienced by the black community. Um, however, it is still sad that someone had to die for this realization to happen. When I heard the guilty verdict, I was honestly shocked. And then I asked myself, why are you so shocked that someone who committed such an act is being brought to justice? 
and I realized that it was because of the brokenness of our justice system and my expectation that crimes such as these will just continue to go unpunished. And honestly, I'm not really sure what this means for the future. My hope is that it will set a stronger precedent for a more equitable and unbiased justice system, though my fear is that this- Okay, so that'll be the end of our podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this Akona podcast. And be sure to subscribe to our accounts on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts so that we can provide you with the best content possible. Stay updated with Akona Online.